The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org. The voice of an awakening world. eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Sometimes we're present for history, and we don't even know history has happened. I remember being at a 1983 vegetarian conference and seeing some people walk by who were dressed in white and they looked happy and they looked as if they'd spent a lot of time in the sun. One of them was very tall and somebody said, that's a medical doctor. And I thought, oh my goodness, everything in this movement is going to change. And you know what? To a degree, I think it did. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, host of the Main Street Vegan Program. And that little snippet of history that I shared was when I was first introduced to the community of Gentle World. These folks had been vegan for a long time, even before my meeting them in the early 1980s. Now, that very tall medical doctor was Dr. Michael Clapper, who has been on the program and actually will be again soon. I'll be talking about that at the start of the second half. But I'm so honored that for this program, we are going to be speaking with one of the co-founders of Gentle World. His name is Light, no more name than that required. And he, with his lovely wife, son, who has now gone on to the next adventure, co-founded Gentle World. And Light himself is vegan for 52 years. They started this organization in the 1970s as a vegan intentional community. They became a 501c3 educational organization in 1981 with the publication of the first 
full-length vegan cookbook in the United States, the cookbook for people who love animals, which I, of course, raised my daughter on those recipes. And joining us also today uh, with light is Angel Flynn, and she has only been with Gentle World for something over 20 years, but she has been vegan for all that time, and she manages their website, which has newly been revised, and she does their social media and newsletters, and she's also in charge of Gentle World's first ebook, Demystifying Veganism with 20 Simple Questions. Welcome, Light and Angel. Thank you, and thank, thank you. you for this opportunity. Well, it's, it's always a pleasure. You guys are always at the cutting edge of everything. And with all of that, I forgot to say that Light happens to be the uncle of Joaquin Phoenix. See how good people hang out together. <laughs> so welcome, both of you. So Light, 52 years ago. Now, I know that Jay and Freya Dinshaw, the founders of the American Vegan Society, were vegan 52 years ago. I don't know of any others. Where did you get the idea? How did this all come about? Okay, as far as I know, the Dinshaws are the only people I know that are vegan longer than I am. And of course, don't know everyone. Well, what happened was when my wife, and before she was my wife, when we first got together, we decided we were going to, uh, what we were going to do with our lives. This was at the late 60s. We decided we were going to seek the truth. And not only that, when we found that we were going to live it. Next thing we knew, we went to a movie in which they showed three, three burly men in, in, in fishing hip boots hitting a bull over the head with sledgehammers as hard as a man could hit. The poor beast was screaming. It must have taken 10 blows to send him to his knees. And we walked out of the theater and we said, is that how they get meat? Well, that's a truth we can't deny. We can't eat meat anymore. And that's when we became vegetarian. That was in 66, 67. And uh, after that, we somehow, oh, we went to visit, we still ate dairy. And we went to visit a, a dairy upstate New York and found out what the reality of that was. It wasn't like they show on the uh, Elsie the Cow commercials. It was, it was horrific. And we got there and the mother cow was bellow, bellowing and screaming and we asked the woman what, what's happened. And she said, well, they took her baby away. But don't worry, you'll get used to it. She only does it for about a month. We said, well, we don't wanna get used to that. And we left and we stopped eating dairy. In those days, you could hardly get anything that didn't have dairy. We couldn't get bread. It all had whey in it, W-H-E-Y. And it was just, forget about ice cream. That was the end of that. We used to actually eat, I'm ashamed to say, what is it, Ready Whip. <laughs> we used to squeeze that Ready Whip to get our ice cream uh, desire off. And uh, we'd have to travel. We'd get in the car and travel almost Midwest to find a loaf of bread we could eat. But it didn't matter to us back then. We, we knew we would, you know, people would say we would die, especially our parents who thought that you only got protein as everyone else did. You only got protein from, from animal products. There was a book back then, I don't know if you remember, Diet for a Small 
Planet, I think. Yeah. Yes. In which she advocated that only beans and rice make a pure protein. Other than that, there is none. Just one of the things that shows you how far we've come. Of course, now we know, and Dr. Clapper was the help in that, there's protein in all kinds of vegetables. So that's when we uh, decided, we didn't know there was a word vegan. We, we thought we kind of stretched vegetarianism to a new, into a new zone. And a little while after that, we, did, we were introduced to the Dinshaws. They were the only ones we knew that were vegan. And then I think they told us, told her, taught us the word at the time. How did you find them? Somebody came to visit. I don't know what had happened to him. I think it was Ronald Pincus, I think was his name. And he told us about this couple in New Jersey at the time. And that was the first time we heard it. We actually went to visit them. And uh, that was eye-opening to think there were other people in the world, even if there were only two of them, that felt the way we did. Let's see, what else? That's so amazing. And when you think about how it is now, when you go to most restaurants and there's some kind of vegan option, it's, it's a new world. It's not where we want to go. We're not quite too gentle world yet. But it's amazing what has happened in, in this time. So let's just bring Angel in if we can for a little bit. So Angel, you joined this amazing organization over 20 years ago. So how did you find Gentle World? Well, it was a uh, stroke of very good fortune. <laughs> um, at the time I was in New Zealand, which is where Gentle World has another center. Um, we haven't been able to go there for a few years because of COVID, but at the time the New Zealand center was just opening up and um, because they had just reached out to their country, they decided to attend an event where um, there were lots of people gathering for the turn of the millennium, so 99 to 2000. And they had been told by the people who ran this event every year that if they came and helped to run the kitchen, they would make the whole thing vegan. So Light and Sun and some other people from Gentle World decided to go there and volunteer to make this event, which was 400 people feeding 400 people for seven days, um, they decided to go to make that a vegan event. And I happened to be there um, attending as, as a participant and Light and Sun gave a workshop there called Community Building. And I went because I was very interested in community living and I heard them speak and I heard them talk about veganism. And it was the first time I realized that um, veganism was very different to what I thought it was. I didn't really understand it on, a, on the deep level that they introduced it to me as. Um, so I went to the center to visit. I went to what we call Shangri-La, stayed there for a couple of weeks and um, got to know these remarkable people, Light and Sun and everybody else who was a part of the team. Um, I soon learned that veganism was, like I said, something much, much bigger than I thought. Um, I had come to it from a kind of um, you know, a perspective from some friends of mine who were activists and people who were in the environmental movement and the animal rights movement, and they had introduced me to veganism. So I had kind of started in that direction, but I just didn't fully comprehend what it really means, what it can mean to the individual. And when I met Light and Sun and I saw what they had done when they were describing to me those early days um, and how strong their commitment was, their determination to do it against all odds, really. Uh, I remember Sun saying to me once, um, 
she was just kind of introducing me to this idea that maybe I hadn't really become fully vegan. And I said to her, well, you don't understand, you know, it's, it's hard out there to be vegan. And I'm thinking she's living in this vegan community. It's very easy. And she said to me, hard to be vegan. She said, when we started, there was no tofu. There was no soy milk. There were no health food stores. Don't tell me it's hard to be vegan. And um, when that moved in on me, I realized that if these people could do that back then, it must have been really, really important to them. And so I started to open up to this idea that maybe this is bigger than I thought. And um, so they helped me to really understand that. And then in the years since, I've had the opportunity to be a part of helping other people to also understand that, which is, as you know, um, very gratifying. It is indeed. Now, I really want to get back to life for more of the history. But you said something so fascinating. I need to follow up on it before it leaves my mind. You said what veganism can do for the individual. And so often we'll say, and then I learned what it could do for the animals, what it could do for the planet. But I'm interested in what you're saying, what it could do for the individual. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, of course, I think what it, you know, what it's about for the animals is, is of course the key point. And that's what Light and Sun were explaining to me is how much, how, how important it is on that level. But I think, you know, over the years of being vegan, and I'm sure you've experienced this, there's a whole lot of um, expansion that happens inside us when we really allow that in, you know, the, the, the significance of it. And I often think that, you know, people, people resist it because they think about what they're going to have to give up, but they don't realize that if they just allow those things, allow themselves to not use those things that come from animals, what ends up happening for us spiritually and you know the peace the peace that that moves in and this increase in our confidence and this increase in feeling of belonging in the world and being able to feel a part of the animal kingdom rather than separated from the animal kingdom part of the natural world rather than separated from it i think that does wondrous things for us and i sometimes think that if people could just know how they would feel if they did become vegan, if you could put a projector on their head that would let them see who they would become a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, I think it'd be a no brainer. Oh, what an amazing artificial intelligence exercise for somebody who knows how to do that kind of thing. What you will be 10 years from now as a vegan. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. So Light, let us go back to the 1970s and you guys are independent vegans. Gentle World hasn't happened yet. So what happens next? Well, what happened next was, at the time, by the way, I thought that uh, the United States would turn vegan. It was so right that it would take about 10 years. Boy, I was a little off in, in the dating. And we just lost one friend after another. We, we made them fearful. Not us so much as the truth, I guess. Because it's the same today. It's the feelings they have of guilt, knowing that there's, there's no other side. It's like, in a way, like the Holocaust. There's no positive side to it. Love and I, son and I, thought it was the first time that we knew an irrefutable truth, something that had no other side. There is no good side to animal agriculture and to using animals as they do. There's no good side to murder. And so we, you know, when they said, well, you'll, you'll die from lack of protein, they used to say protein schmotein. 
we're not going to be punished for something that is obviously so right and so true. And to follow something like that, it, it changed our lives. It changed our very selves, I'm sure. How could it not? It's what we were putting into our bodies. It changed us for, and, and for the good in every way, health-wise and everything else. She was asking how gentle it started. How it started. Yes, well, people pushed us into, into finding other people that felt the way we did. So we, we met a lot of young people. We told them how we felt. And a handful of them decided to try it. And we uh, eventually got together, mainly, I guess, at that time, for economic purposes, and also because we, we didn't want to uh, you know, eat at anybody else's table. Actually, my mother used to sneak some, some animal broth or something into our food. She was a chef. Well, they thought we would die. You know? They were doing that of what they thought was right. So anyway, we eventually stopped eating with other people unless they were vegan, which of course they weren't. And eventually there were a handful of us and we just decided at the time communes were very popular, which I'm afraid is not so today, although it's still the hope of the world. This whole world is a commune. If they only knew it, the whole world's a commune. And if everybody who could got together, especially the poor people, the only way they can really help themselves is by getting together and, and, and economically in every other way and having this some kind of power against the, uh, that so-called one, one of 1% one that run things around the world. The, the world is, a, I'm afraid, a, an increasingly darkening place. It's the only hope I see. Veganism is the only hope I see for the, well, that's what my shirt says, for the future of of this planet, because it's the beginning of it's the beginning of empathy. It's the beginning of compassion. There are no wars with when you have compassion and empathy. It's only when you don't feel for another that you can do everything, including kill them, whether it be a four-legged animal or a two-legged human. That's a must on this planet. We must become vegan if we're to have a future at all. I love how you said that veganism is the beginning of compassion because a lot of people think it's the end and they will say well that's fine but first we have to love other humans and then we have to be able to love the humans that are different from us and then this and this and this and by the time they get to animals we'll all be dead <laughs> a couple of times and so i love your idea that we start where it's so easy because the animals are so sweet and kind and good. An animal has never insulted us. An animal has never cut us off in traffic or been mean or fired us or taken away our true love or you know whatever humans do to one another. I, I agree, the opposite is true. It's much easier, the much easier place to start is with animals, to not hurt them. As you said, they don't do anything to harm us. That, that famous, uh, not famous, world famous fighter Muhammad Ali said, when he refused to go fight in Vietnam, he said, they never called me the N-word, but no Vietnamese ever called me the N-word. And it's true that people sometimes provoke other people into being angry, but you know, a horse never does that or a cow. And it's mainly the, the you know, it's not the lions and tigers. Although, I mean, they deserve the, the peace and the, 
and, and, you know, and not being slaughtered themselves. And I believe that eventually if humans stopped eating animals, that we could eventually train, because I know of certain lions that, that couldn't eat meat. One in particular was a cub whose, whose mother was killed. And from that, I guess that blood from the mother was that cat, that cub was never able to eat meat again. So, you know, so it, it's possible, but that isn't even the issue. You've got to start somewhere with feeling compassion. And if you can't feel it for a dog or a horse, I don't know how you're going to feel it for the people that they give a name to, whether it be uh, whatever they, in order to kill them, they give them some kind of name like Hun or the N-word or any of the words that begin with any letter. Yes. So when you started to have some of these revelations, were you in Hawaii by then or where were you geographically? It was long before Hawaii. We started out in Florida, actually, because it was easier. Again, economically, of course, you didn't have to go through winter. And uh, it was easier. Plus, we found uh, flea markets which helped us a great deal in buying. We'd never heard of flea markets before that. And it was, you were able to buy a shovel for a dollar that cost $10 at the hardware store. And that was how we shopped back then. Everything was economic because we didn't have any money and we needed a place to live. We actually bought a home in Florida. It wasn't a home. It was, a, uh, it was like half, a, half a, uh, a mobile home that we got together and built the other half onto it after we bought it. But back then it was easy to form a community. People were, were anxious to live together. That, that's I'm afraid not true today. The government has, has made everybody wanna know, do things on their own, which of course is ridiculous. We don't do anything on our own, including this, this interview. It's not on our own, somebody invented this this device to have us do it in the first place, not to mention made our clothes and everything else. We don't do anything alone, nor should we. Otherwise, what are the other 7 billion people for? That's right. That's right. We all have uh, a role to play. What's that song? All God's creatures got a place in the choir. So a gentle world began. And how did Michael Clapper find you guys, Dr. Clapper? Uh, actually, a, a mutual friend, never a member, but he used to visit us at least twice a year. And he lived in Canada where Dr. Clapper was, uh, was studying uh, anesthesiology at the time. And he would tell him when he went back, kind of, oh, there's people here you got to meet. And when he came to us, he would say, oh, there's Dr. Clapper you have to meet. And eventually, we did get to meet. Dr. Clapper lived with us, I'd say, about six or seven years. And he, he changed the nature of Gentle World. We took in a lot of sick people. We took in a few cancer patients and actually healed them with not only the veganism, but a lot of the love we gave them. Now, I'm sorry to say that they all went back to their lives doing what they were doing before they got cured. We had one guy could hardly walk. He was playing volleyball by the time he left. But sad to say, if you don't take away the cause, it's like alcoholism. If you don't take away the cause for that addiction, then they're eventually going to go back to it. And that's what they did and they passed away. It's sad, but it was harder then. And I think that more and more people are staying now. I know there was a 
survey a few years ago that said there was an 80% recidivism rate. And I was so discouraged by that. And I was talking with Dr. Neil Barnard and he said, well, maybe they just need to hear it again. You know, people who stop smoking on average try to stop nine times. Wow. So <laughs> I think maybe we need to sometimes uh, let people fall off and come back to veganism. That's what happened for me. It took me 12 years to get from vegetarian to 100% vegan. There were times in there I thought I was vegan. I was vegan for months, but then I would fall off the wagon for some reason or another. And it was because of amazing people like Jay and Freya Dinshaw who didn't give up on me. They never said, oh, just forget about you. You'll never amount to anything. They just always treated me like I was vegan. And because they held that vision, I couldn't help but become one. I couldn't let them down. So Angel, as you look at the work of Gentle World today, there's so many organizations. I mean, obviously, Light, you were there to see, you know, PETA happen and a farm animal rights movement and farm sanctuary and all these things. But what sets Gentle World, Angel, apart from everybody else who's out there? Excellent question um, and a good one to think about. Well, I mean, obviously, the longevity is a big one. Um, most people who come and visit us cannot believe that the people here running this team are vegan for decades. I'm the shortest term vegan of everybody here, and I'm 20 years, so most people are 40, 50 years plus. Um, obviously, that's a big one. But I think also, um, I mean, on a practical level, the fact that we have a visitor program is something that I don't know of another place. We actually don't know of another really fully functioning and thriving vegan intentional community because gentle world still is an intentional community um so that's unique uh but i think it's also it's something about the vision that you know that light and sun were always trying to um advocate for which is bigger than veganism alone i mean it's also something about um, a brighter future you know a brighter world and it's this belief and hope that it's possible for, you know, this weird human species that we are to become better versions of ourselves. And we're always trying to um, just promote this hopeful, comforting vision, you know, the, an idea that there is a better future for us, um, a future where we're more connected with the natural world where we're more at peace with ourselves and living harmoniously with each other and um, you know respectful relationship with the rest of the world around us I think I hope and we do hear this from people who um, people who we've never met who just have read things on our website and things like that um, they find it an inspirational message and vision and that's what we're always trying to be that's wonderful. I think inspirational and aspirational, because from the very beginning, knowing about what you all did and how you live, I've always kind of aspired in my very urban, very <laughs> other way of being in the world in, on so many levels than, than you are. You've always held the banner for this is a beautiful, pure way to aspire to get through life on earth so i admire that so much so we're going to have to stop and people who are listening to this on the radio or as a podcast are going to hear some lovely messages from the good people at unity online radio and then we'll be back with more about gentle world I saw 
You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back to the second half of this wonderful interview with Light and Angel from Gentle World. So as you are getting to know Gentle World, if you're not yet familiar with them, and you can find them online at gentleworld.org or on Instagram at gentle.world. And I will put all of their info on our show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. And speaking of MainStreetVegan.net, if you would like to visit, we've got lots of stuff going on over there. There's a weekly blog and there's information about Main Street Vegan Academy. So if you would like to take your vegan outreach to the next level and become a Main Street Vegan certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator, please check us out at MainStreetVegan.net. We are celebrating our 10th anniversary of the Academy, and we are also going to be celebrating the 10th anniversary of this podcast. So we're going to be doing some really fun things in April, May, and June. In fact, we're already starting uh, with the early history of the movement and, and heroes of this movement. So we're going to be looking at some other heroes all through April. And in May, we'll look at healers, those physicians that I really believe have, have got the, I don't even want to say secrets, because who would want to keep it secret? The wisdom for how to live healthfully in our physical bodies throughout this life. And then in June, I'm going to be talking with people that I just call halos, because I find them so inspiring. So we're all going to have a great amount of fun here on the Main Street Vegan podcast for the next few months and gosh we're having fun right now talking with light and with angel flynn from gentle world so light we were doing a little chronology back to the 1970s so i'd be interested in just a little kind of snapshot of what gentle world has accomplished through these decades well quickly getting back to the 70s and those banquets were called vegetarian banquets where they would have a program of saving the whales, for example, and then serve tuna fish sandwiches at the intermission. Well, we at the time, as I know, we were pretty much, we were the vegan Marines. There were, at that time, maybe 25 of us. And of course, we would say, well, you, you can't save the whales and, and not save the tuna fish. And that's kind of where it began way back then. It's, it's a miracle to see how far it's come. Question? Um, about things that Gentle World has accomplished through the years. Well, here are a few of the kind of, I guess you could say, cute things. Since we go so far back, we were the first ones to fly a banner over the uh, spring break when all the college kids were in Florida. And we would fly a burner and said, like Thanksgiving time, Thanksgiving is murder on turkeys. And we'd fly that banner and then we'd go interview the kids, see what they thought about it. We would also make up stickers, what they call them, a stick, like they stick on a refrigerator, and we'd stick them on the meat in the grocery store. It said, this product will be injurious to your health. 
many times we wondered what the woman thought when she got home and opened that package and had this little very official looking sticker that said this product is injurious to your health. We also had that we would make bumper stickers, put them on the cattle trucks, making very sure the driver didn't see us in the back of the cattle truck. That also said, don't, don't truck, don't truck animals to their slaughter, truck something else. I don't know if that ever changed it. That's one of the things you're never sure what the outcome is of things you do. I mean, you never really find out, at least not yet. And uh, we, we became, basically Gentle World became the food people. As I mentioned, my mother was a professional chef. So food was very important in my life. And when, I, when we started out, the vegan food was bland to say the least. I knew that I wouldn't convince anybody to switch from what they were eating to bland food. So we became the food people. At one time, we had the only vegan chefs in the movement that I know about. Nowadays, of course, they're, they're world famous. You got them everywhere, which is true of medical personnel too. As far as I know, Dr. Clapper was the only official medical doctor back then. Now there are you know, countless. Now it's a wonderful thing. I hope there are millions of them. Let's see, what else? So the food led to the cookbook. The, the food led to the first vegan. The Dinshaws had a, a vegan, but it was more like a booklet. We mm -hmm. were the first, and then there was also the, uh, I forget Ten Talents. Ten Talents. Seventh-day Adventist, uh, Rosalie Hurd. Yeah, exactly. But I think- Yeah, the, those two and yours. <laughs> the first. I think that was had, what we had, and, had and it was plenty. Yeah, they had something, it was either yogurt or 10 talents, something that wasn't purely vegan. We couldn't use the word vegan on our first cookbook because nobody knew what it meant. Yeah. We had to say total vegetarian. And we originally called it the cookbook for people who really underline, really love it. <laughs> and the publisher wouldn't let us do that either. By the way, Jim Dosh, Jay Dinshaw was really instrumental in getting us off our backsides to publish that cookbook, and we owe we owe him. The, the two the Dinshaws were instrumental in our vegan lives, and we have a great deal of respect for them. As as do I. When I first heard about veganism in 1970, they were the information in this country. That was that was where you went, and I think now with the internet and where we can see so many videos and get so much information so easily, to just think that you know some of us are still alive who back then were getting all of our information from kind of self-published pamphlets and and uh, reading materials held together with staples, but. <laughs> It was good material and it, it changed us. That first cookbook, the people who love, the people who love animals, by the way, was typewritten. Give you a little idea <laughs> that is. And my favorite font on the computer is still American typewriter. <laughs> my heart is very close to typewriters. So Angel, uh, you've been here for some of the more recent happenings. So what are you guys most excited about now? I know you've got the visitor program, the new website. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, well, the visitor program, um, it's been going on for a while already. We, um, 
weren't sure if COVID was going to put an end to it altogether. You know, there was a, a period there where we had to put the whole thing on pause. And then, of course, even after we opened back up, it was hard for people to feel that they were ready to fly again and travel. Um, but it has recently um, taken off on a whole other level. We're getting more requests than we've ever had before, actually. Um, so that's been really good. And the visitor program, it's kind of just an amazing um, thing to be a part of because we get a lot of people who are, you know, by the time they're coming to visit us, they're already um, pretty interested in, in, in making the vegan step. It's not like having to go out on the street and convince somebody that they want to go vegan. By the time they come, they want to know. So we have the opportunity to um, share our message with people who are already open, they're receptive, um, and they have the chance to come and learn about it from people who have been vegan for decades. So it's really tends to be very inspiring for them. Sometimes we get people coming who are um, already vegan, but have never had the opportunity to just be surrounded by other vegans or to be in an environment where veganism is just the norm. You know, it's something we just kind of <clears throat> expect of anybody who comes here. And I think there's a certain magic to it because, you know, they come, they eat with us, they see what the food is like, they love the, everybody loves the food. <laughs> we get those comments over and over again. The food was amazing. I miss your food all the time. Um, so they get the chance to just see that there's no deprivation here. They feel really good eating the food. They're satisfied. They're um, satiated. And especially when people come when they're a bit older, they're also finding that they feel really good. You know, they can eat vegan for a week or two and start to realize, oh, they feel lighter. Um, their body responds to it in a really good way. And then within that environment where they have people to talk to, they can feel that we're friendly and we welcome yes. them then they get to watch videos and they get to see some of the stuff that's going on and learn about the industries that they are participating in if they make non-vegan choices. Um, and it's Hawaii. I mean, <laughs> let's not forget you're on the big island of Hawaii. So people get to come and experience the vegan lifestyle with some uh, real veterans and be in such an amazing location. Yeah. I'd like to interject a kind of interesting point. When we began this visitor program, it must be 15 years now, I'd say 10% of these, mainly young people, were not vegan. 10% were not vegan. No, I'm sorry. 10% were vegan. 10% were vegan. Right. I got that right finally. I'd say now it's, it must be 80% come as vegan. And they need a little honing, a little polishing. But that's the great change. These young people went from, we hardly hardly met a vegan that came here. And now almost all these young people that come are vegan of that, that much vegan to begin with. We just kind of smooth out the rough edges and give them a, a broader outlook on it. It's not just a diet. It's not just you change what you eat. You change everything about yourself. That's a much overlooked factor. It changes your very selves. A lot of times we'll have people come who they've been involved in veganism in one way or another, but like, like I was when I came, they didn't really understand what it means. So often people will come and they say they're vegan when they arrive, but then when they leave, they're saying, well, now I'm really vegan and now I'm going to actually become an activist. I'm going to do things to help move this movement forward. So that's always very gratifying. 
That's beautiful. Why do you think it is that nowadays people get it when they get it, they get it completely and, and nobody plays around in vegetarianism like we did. They just hear about this stuff and they are immediately vegan. I give a lot of credit to this device we're talking on. The internet has opened up what has been what back then, nobody knew what a slaughterhouse or even these beautiful animal. She, every, every evening we watch one of these programs where a cow is living with a turtle, a sheep is living with, a, with an alligator. It's just amazing. It's almost like all the, I think, all the animals are banding together against the common enemy. They finally learned who the common enemy was. It, it wasn't difficult. And you see all of a sudden, you know, when I was a kid, if a dog and a cat got along together and slept together, it would be in the newspaper that this dog and cat were getting along. And now you see a cat and a bird. You know, just anything that was just unheard of back then. It's a wonderful, it's a, as I said, it's the most hopeful thing I see. That is really beautiful. And and I've kind of thought about that. I've thought about what you said, that you're right. People used to say, you know, they're fighting like cats and dogs when half the people I know have cats and dogs living right. in their home. We had that. Wow. I wonder if that Isaiah prophecy is somehow starting to, starting to fulfill itself. Maybe. It's well, it is a gentle world anyway. We know it's happening there. So um, you have this new before the lion, I used to say before the lion lies down with the lamb, I think we have to. But, you know, maybe they're going to lead the way. You know, sometimes we're a little bit slow, but not <laughs> all of us. You know, there are people like you. You know, I, I think that sometimes we as vegans, you know, we don't want to feel superior or anything. But I think we just need to take a pause every now and then and say, you know, congratulations us, we got it, you know, and there may be other stuff we're not getting and need to get, and we need to be open to that. But this piece, this really valuable piece, we got, so good on us. Mm -hmm. Yes, in all modesty, in the regard of compassion and empathy, we are superior. And an angel can be humble and <laughs> it'll all work out. So angel, don't be humble about the new ebook because I've heard it's fabulous. Demystifying veganism. Tell us about it. Well, it's, it's something that actually took many years to come together because we built it as we were building our website, which has taken about, you know, we had a website previously that was in existence for about 10 years and we were just building it one piece at a time. But then recently we were able to, with the help of some funding, we were able to do a complete rebuild of our website, which it desperately needed. And, um, and we were able to, through that process, transform it into what I hope is gonna be a very valuable resource for the vegan community, for new vegans, people who are curious about veganism. We have a lot of information on there. And as we've been building the content, we've been trying to just look at you know, try to just cover the different topics that we think um, people might want to know about. And through that process was um, a building of a collection of frequently asked questions. So that's what this book is. It's 20 questions that we identified as the ones that we hear most frequently. And answers to those, you know, they're not super lengthy answers. We want to make it easily digestible for people and very accessible for people. 
but it is just, you know, our way of addressing things like, well, what does veganism really mean? Because obviously, as we were discussing earlier, um, there's a whole spectrum of what people think veganism means, everything from, I can lose weight by being vegan, to, um, you know, maybe being veganism will help me find a partner or something like that. But no, we really want to show people that this is something that is a very deep um, inner change that occurs when you recognize that we're participating in something that is um, ethically wrong that we want to reject because of social justice reasons. So we start at that point and then we go through a whole lot of other questions. Um, you know, isn't it difficult to be vegan? Won't other people think I'm extreme if I become vegan? Um, what, what about if we all become vegan, what will happen to all the animals? Won't, won't farmed animals be overrunning the planet? You know, all these things that we hear over and over again, we've tried to um, put together a collection of answers that can both be useful for people who are interested in becoming vegan to help them understand what, what it is they are talking about and also to vegan activists who might find it useful as a guide to help answer other people's questions. So it's free for download on our website. We're not charging anything for it. It's absolutely free for our readers to come and partake of. Wonderful. Now, you guys love the word vegan. I'm pretty fond of it myself. And yet there are a lot of people that want to call themselves plant-based. And I'm sure the animals don't care what we call ourselves as long as we are not eating them, wearing them, exploiting them. But how are you with plant-based? What do you think of that term? I mean, I just, it's funny because when we released Incredibly Delicious, our second cookbook, it was right in the beginning of the 2000s, maybe 2001. And we really hesitated to put vegan on the cover because it was such an untrendy word at the time. It was kind of like going through a period where people were rejecting it. And now I think that's really shifted and veganism has become much more socially acceptable. But the fact is people use it in different ways. And I think um, in many cases, plant-based is maybe a more accurate way to describe what some people are doing. Like some people are just, they're adopting a plant-based diet for, for other reasons, health reasons. Um, you know, some people do it to improve their athletic performance. They might adopt a plant-based diet and that's great and it can help people's health and it does help animals when people stop eating them. I don't think it's the same as becoming vegan. I think vegan is an epiphany that is specifically about the animals, specifically about this um, not wanting to be a part of the atrocity, right? Not wanting to be a part of something that is so hurtful. Um, so to me, they're two different things. I think the rise of the plant-based movement is great but I don't think it should be confused with the vegan movement. I think they're two different things. Yeah, pl plus, it's not just the eating of them. We could go into puppy mills. We could go into ripping the faces off tusked animals like elephants. Just every inhumane, although in, even inhumane isn't quite accurate since it's very human. It's only human to do these things. Maybe we ought to change the I word too. But it's, it's overall, it's just cruelty. You know, cruelty. Cruelty shouldn't even be, it shouldn't be a C word. It shouldn't be a word at all. Cruelty shouldn't be in our vocabulary. I wonder if there's a language where cruelty is not a word. You know, there are certain languages, I don't know, like Eskimo that doesn't have the word something in it, <laughs> but uh, maybe warm, <laughs> no word for warm. <laughs> the Eskimo language. <laughs> No, that would be wonderful to speak a language that doesn't have cruelty. And I think veganism is a language that doesn't have cruelty. 
That's true. So as you look at the movement as a whole, like from having been around for so long, what do you see and how do you feel? Well, as I might have mentioned before, I think it's the most, if not the only hopeful thing I see on the planet is if people become vegan, they're going to understand. We've got a little woke up a snoring dog. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, now I see a hope because not only is the cruelty an issue, but now it's become, for many people, the catastrophe of, the catastrophe of climate change. You know, I, we all knew at one time, we all knew that veganism was a panacea. It covers the good of everything. But we didn't know about climate change in the 70s. It wasn't a term. But now it's become the worst form of uh, cause of climate change. They say it's worse than every smokestack and every car and every train, every plane in the world put together. Well, that should be reason enough for, uh, for the change to be made. I mean, it's the very life of everybody and the planet itself. So true. I could listen to you all night light and I, I kind of regret that over these past 40 years that I've been around this thing that um, I didn't do more listening to you. <laughs> I guess we didn't have the internet for the first many years. Much. <laughs> yeah, but you have been listening, Angel. So tell us what it's like to have spent these couple of decades with light and with sun before she passed. Uh, what have you learned? I feel it's been a tremendous privilege for me. And you mentioned sun's oh. passing and actually when she passed, we received testimonials from people all over the world about how inspirational she'd been in their lives, including people who had met her for half an hour one time, and they may have been reading our website and learned about her passing and contacted us and said, I feel honored to have had the opportunity to have been touched by Sun's presence. Um, so I feel, yeah, tremendously honored to have had the opportunity to work so closely with them. And certainly, um, you know, my own veganism, uh, we're going to have to let our dog out. She's oh, sure just to go out. We're very understanding of dogs, cats, birds, gerbils, and other beings here at Main Street Vegan. <laughs> both rescue, of course, and um, and both vegan dogs. All, all the gentle dogs world's dogs vegan. have always been vegan from the very beginning, all the wow. way back to. Our first dog we called vegan because people would say vegan. What does that mean? And, and it gave them the chance to explain. I want to mention, by the way, we opened a restaurant called The Vegan on Maui when we lived there for 10 years, 12 years, in which we had over the door, you know how McDonald's says a billion served, a million served, we yeah. had a million saved. Love it. <laughs> Love it. That's great. Yeah, back to um, Light and Sun and being able to be a part of their, their world here and their organization. Um, one way in which it has tremendously influenced me is uh, when I, about, about almost 10 years into my, my own veganism, um, I had the opportunity to um, do a little blogging, online blogging for a, a different website, actually. And um, that was 
the birth of our current website actually came through that. Um, I did some writing when I was in school. I loved writing, but I hadn't done it since. And when I became vegan or, you know, 10 years after becoming vegan, and I had this opportunity to do some blogging for a um, social justice website, I found that what I most wanted to write about, of course, was veganism. And when I started to do it, it became, I got a really tremendous response from people reading. And so I had the opportunity to, you know, really kind of explore my voice and, and start to um, write about the vegan topics that interested me. And Light and Sun are both writers themselves. So I had the opportunity to learn from these two um, very, very talented individuals and actually incorporate some of what I was learning from the way they wrote into the writing that I do. And also not just the way that they write, but also this vision that I was describing earlier that I think draws people to Gentle World. Um, you know, trying to, Light has a piece in which he says, um, speak not of the ascent, but of the view from the summit that alone will set others climbing. And so one of the things that I've always loved about Gentle World is this attempt to share the view from the summit. And that's what we try to do through our website. I'm not saying the summit in terms of we, we've reached it, you know, but more, um, you know, trying to share the view from a perspective of um, having made this, this climb to this point, um, you know, showing people what it, what it feels like to be, um, to be here at this point and welcoming other people to experience that for themselves. I would like to say something a little, little indirect. I'm afraid we have only 20 seconds. Can you say it really fast? You know, people <laughs> may wonder why my wife passed away being a 50-year vegan at the time. And I want to say we took all kinds of tests. And what it pointed to most was, what's the word? Roundup glyphosate. Glyphosate. Our glyphosate was the only thing that was high and out of bounds. My goodness. Throw that out for people who may wonder, because I wondered myself. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And um, you are a light in the world, as Sun indeed was. Thank you so much for having this time with us. Thanks to everybody for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.